This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Amen. I want to just get into the sermon immediately this morning. Don't have a lot of time. But um, as I was just sitting there this, this morning, the Lord showed me, and I, I don't normally get it this vividly, but showed me that there are four dragon-like spirits that have taken some hearts captive. And shame, it's bitterness, it's gender confusion, and it's loneliness. And the Lord is saying that the time of judgment upon those spirits has come this morning. And that the Holy Spirit is going to set you free this morning. And it's going to usher you into a deep, deep, deep revelation of His love that is going to transform you the way you think, the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you sleep. And that Jesus is saying He's here. He's here. You can trust Him. You've been sharing with one another, I believe, around intimacy with God. And, and I want to share with you a couple of verses this morning that I've been sharing with our congregation in Somerset West. And um, it is one of those those times where you feel completely inadequate to, to bring across the magnitude and the depth of this topic because it is so outside of, of us as humans to understand this fully and but I'm trusting that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit, He's going to give us revelation of His love. And I believe it's going to build on a lot of what you have been talking um, about already. But the Lord is going to cement this. And let me just read something that I came across. I'm, I'm busy reading a book by um, Charles Swindle. And the name of the book is, So You Want to Be Like Christ. And I don't know about you, but that's my desire. I think with, with everything that we do, with all the programs that we have, with, with us coming to church and going to Bible school and, and doing all the amazing things that we, that we do, I think all of our desires can really or should really be summed up in this one desire, and that is that we want to become more like Christ. Amen? I think that's the reason why God has still placed us here on the earth. That's the reason why we haven't been raptured yet. It's because he's wanting us to become more like Christ. He's wanting us to be transformed into the image of Christ. And he reveals himself through us, different ethnic groups, different languages, different um, social classes and, and genders. He reveals something of who he is through us. But, but as a believer, it is our express aim, our express goal in everything that we do. How can I become more like Christ? How can I manifest Christ? How can I convey his heart? How can I sound more like him? How can I act more like him? And this is a, a book that has really captured my heart. It's been challenging me a great deal. I've been reading this book on and off for the last year or so. It's one of those books you can just read very quickly. But, but in this book, Charles quotes uh, Henry Nowen, and, and, and he said this, he said, recently, I was driving through Los Angeles, and suddenly, I know Los Angeles is far away from Stellenbosch, I know that, but um, I believe that there are a few similarities we can glean from. It says, suddenly, I had the strange sensation of driving through a huge dictionary, he says. Wherever I looked, there were words trying to take my eyes from the road. They said, 
Use me, take me, buy me, drink me, smell me, touch me, kiss me, sleep with me. In such a world, he says, who can maintain respect for words? I was up in Pretoria a couple of weeks ago, and there again, in Johannesburg, I, I, was, I was so reminded of this kind of world. Huge billboards, massive billboards just bombarding you constantly with words over and over again, trying to grab your attention. I know you in Stellenbosch, where we live, in the Alderberg, where I function, we don't have those many billboards, but you, but you have the newspaper headings, don't you? And you walk into a, into a store, and, and the last couple of aisles is the magazines next to the suites, you know, so it's uh, tempting you, tempting the kids, tempting you either to buy something you don't really want or you don't really need. Um, but beyond the billboards, today in our society, we are bombarded with words all the time. All the time, and we're on WhatsApp groups, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. You are constantly being bombarded by words much more than any other generation. And as Henry Nowen says, when you are bombarded with words so often and so much, we are tempted to lose our respect for the word. I mean, just the word. Because it is impossible for you to absorb all of that information and to respond to all of that information. Deliberately, consciously. And so in order for us to survive, in order for us to function, we tend to ignore a lot of stuff that comes through, don't we? A lot of the WhatsApp groups, you just quickly read through it. We've got a WhatsApp group for our street. We've got a WhatsApp group for our class, for the one girl and for the other girl and for the other one. We've got a WhatsApp group for the small group facilitators, a WhatsApp group for the band and a WhatsApp group for the pastors and a WhatsApp group for the pastors' wives and a WhatsApp group for the pastors' wives' kids and WhatsApp group for the dog and for the cat and for, it's like everybody's got a WhatsApp group. You know, and, and, and you're being bombarded with this information all the time. So much so that very often the first thing that you, you see in the morning are these words coming at you. And the last thing you see are these words coming at you. And so in order for us to survive as modern human beings, we have to be selective. And we tend to ignore most of the words coming our way, don't we? And us as men, we're particularly guilty of this because we sometimes get it wrong as to what words you can afford to ignore and which words you cannot afford to ignore. And, and normally... You know, it's, 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 it's a painful exercise discovering that. In some words you just completely miss. You, you miss that, 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 that one phrase. And the one phrase can make all the difference very often. And, and so you have to learn the hard way. Unfortunately, we experience a lot of that when we come to scripture. When we come to the word, because we're being bombarded by words all the time coming at us, I think very often we would come to a gathering like this or or maybe even our own quiet times with God, and, and we lose the urgency. We, we lose the, the magnitude and the gravity of the word to really impact us. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can make that difference. It's only the Holy Spirit that can arrest us. Um, often in my relationship with my wife, there, there has to be something she does to grab my attention. Something that she, she needs to do. My, my little um, six-year-old, Kate Rose, she, she jumps on my lap, takes her, her hands, puts it on my face and turns my face towards and says, Daddy, look at me. I'm talking to you. Look at me. And she, she pulls my ears and says, I've got nice big ears. And so she pulls them and so she can get my attention. And then I've got to stop and I've got to put away quick info and I've got to put away all this stuff and the emails and the things. I can look at her because when I look at her, then I tend to listen to her as well. 
And so when we come to, to God on a Sunday morning, our, our, our worship is very often so important because it enables us to look away from the other stuff that we carry with us into a meeting like this. It, it, it forces us to look to God because when we look to Him and when we really look at Him, then we can hear Him. But if we just glance at Him, if we just, if just look at Him like you look at your WhatsApp groups, we, we miss a lot of the stuff that the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And in my heart of hearts, I've got a strong urgency that I believe that God is wanting to crystallize one or two words to us. And it's no coincidence that you've been speaking about intimacy. It's what I've been sharing on as well. Because I believe that God is wanting to bring us back again to the magnitude and to the centrality of a couple of words in Scripture that define us. You can, you can build everything around these verses. And as believers, we are so comfortable, we know them so well, but we lose its power because it stops to define us. It's not what, 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 what shapes us and molds us anymore. We build a lot of other stuff on it. And I believe God is wanting to bring us back to the basics again. And so it doesn't get more basic, and neither does it get more profound than John 3.16, does it? I mean, it's the, it's the ultimate foundation for our lives. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I've been, been, been reading and meditating over the holidays on this verse and sharing this with our congregation. And, and I, I can immediately sense very often at the beginning of this conversation John 3.16, there's like a switch that goes off in believers' hearts. I know this. I remember this 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I came to Christ. But, but, but I've, I've progressed. You know, sometimes it, it breaks my heart to, to see how believers respond around salvation altar calls. We switch off because we lose the immensity of what this verse means. And, 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 and God has been challenging me and he's been imprinting on my heart and he's been saying to me, Heinrich, I want you to get back to the basics because in this complicated world with so many things changing so quickly, it is the basics that will root us and that will keep us stable. God so loved the world. It, it is a verse that has, is bearing upon our hearts and can anchor us in a season like we are in right now in the Western Cape with the drought facing us. This verse can be and should be our anchor at a time like this, at a crisis like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In other words, he gave his absolute best to us. His son, he gave him to us. Why? Because he loved us. And, and you know what? God didn't start loving us like maybe a hundred years before he sent Jesus. Suddenly he had a brainwave. Hey, I've got to love these people, and so let me send my son to, to die for them and to show them how much I love them. He has always loved us. We were driving uh, three Sundays ago uh, home from church, and, and then one of the girls, I think it was Kate, says, but why did God, she asked in Afrikaans, I'll try and translate, she says, so how come God has created Why did God actually create people? But you've got to say it with a six-year-old attitude as well. She was like, almost like a little bit frustrated with, with human beings. Like, I think a sister frustrated her a little bit. Why did God actually make humans? You know, and, and then we went into this lack of discussion about, you know, but he made the earth and, and he put man on the earth to, to steward the earth and to, and to have dominion over the earth and to reflect God. And, 
and to manifest who God is. And it was a lack of conversation. But as we were having this conversation, the Holy Spirit actually stopped me. And he said, I, I made human beings because I delight in them. <laughs> I delight in them. Because we were having the conversation with, with, with her. She's in the face now, she's asking questions all the time. She says, but, but daddy, I'm your youngest, Emma. So I'm actually third in line. I said, but, but, but you know what? Do you know how long I waited for you? We waited for you for four years. And when you came, I couldn't believe how beautiful you were. I just couldn't believe my eyes when I saw you for the first time. And the Holy Spirit said, that is why I created man. So I love him. You are my labor of love. You are my act of love. You are born out of love. And so I created the earth so you can enjoy it. But that, that, sounds, that sounds too selfish, doesn't it? It's not like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. So, 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 so I'm a product of God's love. Yes, you are. And that's why God hates what happens to families. Because the devil comes into family life and into, and into moments like fences and he, and, and he wants to twist sexuality and he wants to twist lovemaking because he, he wants us to, to grow up in an environment where we think we're a mistake or we, where we shouldn't have been born or, or we were born into pain. And he says, no, mankind is a product of my heart of love. I've always loved you. And God's love is a giving love. And, and so we're talking about love and the revelation of love. And it's important when we talk about love to understand that it is not within the confines of human definition. I mean, being a dad and being a husband and having friends, it's all valuable. And it says something about God's, God's love. But God's love doesn't start with us. It starts with Him. And God so loved the world, passionately loved the world that He gave. And so when we talk about God's love, it's important for us to understand we cannot talk about the love of God without talking about a giving God. God's love is not passive. It is not some, some, some word in the dictionary. It is not some theory. It is not some theoretical thing we sing about or we, we, we have a bumper sticker on our car or the decal against our, our wall at home or the screensaver or the tattoo. It is none of those things. It is a giving word. It is a verb. And so when we talk about God's love, we are talking about something active, something vibrant, something powerful. The only thing in actual fact that somebody like myself and Sias can rely upon to change your heart. Sermons don't. Programs don't. It is only the love of God that is alive and that is powerful and that is active and working through the word and with the spirit that can change the heart of a human being. Nothing else can change it. I mean, it's 1994, the laws of our nation, well, a little bit before the 1990, started changing. But guess what? News flashed to all of us. Just changing the laws doesn't change the heart. Only love can change the heart. We can tolerate one another. We can go to the same classes, play in the same schools, uh, uh, sports teams. But when the pressure is on, when the pressure is on what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the heart, what is spoken around the bright place fire, when the pressure is on, that's when you know whether the heart has been changed or not. And laws cannot do that. Only love can change it on the inside. And so, and so God's love is a giving love. And I, I want you to remember this with our challenge in the drought, with some of, the, with a crime and with a pain all around us. God's love is not passive. 
God didn't wind up the clock of the earth age and he's, now he's sitting back and he's like, okay, good luck. Let me see you guys pull this one off. And then maybe if you scream loud enough and you pray loud enough and you fast loud enough, I might intervene. God's love is active. That means that he's already actively busy working in your life. He set up moments for you. He set up divine connections for you. He set up people for you to meet. He's gone ahead of you. Even into your generations to come to prepare things for them, to understand how much he loves them. God's love is active. And he sent us his, his son. He sent us his best. All right, and that verse, you can park on that verse for, for many months, but I, I just want you to, 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 to latch onto the first thing about God's love. It's giving, it's giving, it's giving, it's giving, it's giving, it's giving, it's giving. You cannot, Gary said it this morning, I'll give God. You cannot, he's a giving God. You don't have to twist his arm, you don't have to manipulate him. God is a giving God. Romans 5 verse 8 says this so beautifully. It says, but God shows his love. Right, so, so, so God so loved the world that he gave. And now it says, but God shows his love. So in other words, God's love is not just a giving love. It is a demonstrative love. It is an active love. It's a manifesting love. In other words, it's a love that invades your space, whether you're five years old, 15 or 50 years old. God wants you to experience his love. God is not content with us simply going through our whole lives, hoping, thinking that he loves us. He wants us to see and to know and to experience that he loves us. And the greatest manifestation of that is in Christ. As someone said, the, the, the personality and the character of God shows up in the face of Jesus. Shows up in the actions of Jesus. And, and here Romans says, God shows his love for us. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. And so, believers, those of us who have been saved for a long time, it is important to get back to this reality. God doesn't love you because of your track record with him. God doesn't love you because you have been doing all the courses or because you've been playing in the band or because you are, for my sake, serving as, as the leader of this congregation. He doesn't love me now more than he did before I had this position. He doesn't. His love is based upon who he is. It starts with him and it says, while we were sinners, in other words, to make this concrete and real, you have got to put yourself in the flesh and in the shoes of that Roman soldier that nails the nail through Jesus' feet and through his hands, takes a spear and pushes it through his side, plunges that thorn crown upon his head. That was you and that was me. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. We took him there because we rebelled against God. It's our sin that took him there. And yet he loves us while we were doing that to him. And you might think, oh, I never did that to God. Our rebellion does that to him. Our, our acts of indifference, of not caring for those around us, for wanting to do things our way, all of those things separate us from God. And yet it says that God shows his love for us in, in while we were coming back to him, while we were responding to him, while we were coming to church, no, while we were sinners. So, so the essence of this is, 
God shows his love for you in your worst moment. Your worst moment. That moment that you know if anybody else should see this, you will die a thousand deaths. That moment that you try to cover up and you try to protect. That moment that you wish that nobody else will ever know about. Maybe those moments that sometimes cause you to rush out of this meeting because you're afraid to connect with somebody afterwards because they might get to know you and they might discover some things about you. And that's why you never go to a small group or, or you even maybe float around from church to church because there's some stuff there. Your worst moment, God loves you in that moment. And he wouldn't change a thing about his love because of your worst moment. Your worst moment does not disqualify you from his love. And we know that and we sing that. But we always live that. And, and, and God, is just, the Holy Spirit has been challenging me, saying to me, Heinrich, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting my people to come closer. I'm wanting my people to come closer because some of us are keeping him at arm's length because we don't believe that about him. And we're going to pray for some of you because you've got worst moments that are defining you, limiting the way that you relate to others, your confidence with God, and his love is going to set you free. Philip Yancey said it so powerfully. He says that grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is. And I want you to allow that to just sink into your heart. Because at the beginning of the year, very often, I don't know about you, but we normally feel a little bit better about ourselves at the beginning of a year for some other reason, don't we? You had a good holiday, you had a good rest, and uh, the year lies ahead of you. It's fresh and you get new resolutions, and, and depending on how you spend your money over Christmas, you know, it, it can be a good, a good start to the year because, because there's anticipation, there's hope. But then we hit the sort of middle of the year, come towards the end of the year, you know, God doesn't love you more when the year is fresh and you haven't messed up royally yet. <laughs> he doesn't love you less with the end of the year and you look back at your shattered dreams, your New Year resolutions that you never reached, the promises that you broke. He doesn't love you less then. He loves you the same way. Because it starts with Him. It doesn't start with you. When you talk about God's love, you know, many years ago we had the cricket song that came out I don't like cricket. I love it. Right? But I, I had to understand and realize, but hey, look, I love the team more when they win. It's a little bit more difficult when they, when they lose. There's something in, inside them like, oh, you're making me upset. I can you throw the game away? I'm still struggling to recover from that L. Donald and Lance Knuse that run out many, many years ago. It's an ongoing process of inner healing for me. Right? I'm allowing God's love to bring healing there. Some of you guys have been born after that, thank God. It was traumatic. Those of us that lived and lived through it. But God's love, plain and simply put, does not start with our performance. It doesn't start with our performance. And yet, all of our lives, we are indoctrinated, ingrained into a system that says, you have to perform. And yesterday's best isn't good enough anymore. You've got to perform. And that's a place for growing, and, and we all know that, we all understand that. But I believe God is wanting us to just make a peace with who He is and who His love is. And so, just very quickly, God's love starts with God. He's always giving and active. 
It always brings life. It empowers and it protects. God's love. In Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks about and says that, that love never fails. I mean, that's a powerful statement. Never fails. God's love never fails. It, it carries with it the ability to complete the work that it has started. Over these last couple of years, and, and, and on Monday evening, uh, Sunday evening, I was just overwhelmed again. 25 years of God's faithfulness for us as a church family. 25 years, I see us of us growing and changing and making lots of mistakes, seeing and, and, and through God's grace getting a couple of things right, but, but mostly having to rely completely upon Him. And it's His faithfulness, the fact that we are together as a church and growing and having an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people, it's not because of us. It's because of Him. It's because of who He is. And, and so I've, you know, it's, it's been a year now that, I'm having the opportunity to serve in this capacity. And the Lord right at the beginning just challenged me and just said, nothing has to change about you. Nothing has to change about you because I'm not going to love you less or love you more depending on how you perform in this role. And there was pressure, a little bit of pressure at the beginning. And God had to speak that word into my heart and say, my love is not based upon you, Heinrich. At the end of your five years, balance sheet, how did you do? And I, I'm doing my best and I pray to God that I'm a good leader and I'm growing as a leader and I'm, I'm developing all the time. But I'm not developing my leadership skills so that God can love me more. Developing my leadership skills so I can serve God's people better. But I'm not doing any of that. I'm not even doing any of that for you. I'm doing it out of love for him. He has called me. He will carry me. And so my, what I feel in my heart, what the Lord is wanting to say to us as shofar, as a family of churches, is do not get too complicated for John 3.16. Do not get too complicated for the power and the magnitude of God's love. Don't complicate things so much that you lose the spontaneity and the joy of simply being with him. Kids and, and degrees and all of those things can complicate matters. God is calling us back. Revelation 2 verse 1, let me... Ach nee man, yesterday, hoe is nou gekom by half elf amper? Revelation 2 verse 1 message says to the angel of the church in Ephesus. There's a beautiful verse in Ephesians 3 thereabouts where Paul says, I'm praying for you and I'm praying that you will understand together with all of the saints what is the, the magnitude of God's love. The height, the width, the length, the depth, the breadth of his love. A couple of decades later, um, God is having to write to the church in, in Ephesus again. And he says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And so he's writing to this congregation, and he's saying to them, I know your endurance, I know your faithfulness, I know that you you love the truth, and, and you don't go after people who just, um, you know, have a new Facebook blog, or just putting stuff out there, you, you test everything. You love the truth. You, you're not siding with evil. He says, and I, and I like that about you. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and, 
and, and bearing up for my name's sake. So these guys are even being persecuted. And he says, and you guys have not grown weary. It's a, it's a beautiful way that God comes into this church's life. And, and, I, and I try and take a template from this as well. When you have to have a difficult conversation, don't just jump in there and tell the person, you know, what they've done wrong. Here God comes in. He's about to give them a very strong word. And he says, you guys are patient. You're endearing. You love the truth. And I like this about you. You're doing a lot of stuff right, he says to them. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. With all of the good stuff you have been doing, you've been moving away from just a place of, of loving me. Just loving me. Just, just being with me for who I am. Every day when I step outside my, my door, look up to the sky, clouds or no clouds. I don't know how many of you guys are doing that lately. And we never used to do that around here. Eh? Look up and... Then I think of my brothers in Namibia and I pray for them with a little bit more compassion than what I had previously. But when I look up there, and I, a lot of our prayers are now generated around God having to come through for us for the rain. Right? We, we're praying for rain a lot and I think we need to. But I just sense the, a longing in God's heart. Will you be with me just for me? How about me, Heinrich? How about just being with me? For me. Not for sending the rain. Not for doing this. Not for doing that. But just being with me. Now, I don't know if that thought sort of messes with your head a little bit. You could just be with God. And being with God would give God joy and pleasure. I went up to Nick and myself. went up to LL at the beginning of the year beautiful ministry that focuses on ministry to pastors. We just spent a week there and just spent time in God's presence, spent time with an older couple that just prayed for us and prayed with us. And, and um, they just encouraged us to switch off the phone. And so my phone was switched off the Monday afternoon and switched it back on the Friday evening. It was a massive deliverance for me. I had withdrawal symptoms, my fingers. But it was good. No phone contact. And then just going into the presence of God and wanting to start praying stuff and wanting to read the word and wanting to, you know, I need to come back with an awesome word. And God said, just be with me. So I just had to lie in his presence, just lie down there and just experience his love, just feel his love, just have him whisper over me, I love you, I love you, I love you. And so I'm like, God, I'm spending a week here. What do I tell your people? And God took me back to a word that he gave me many years ago. I said, simply tell them. Tell them that they have no idea how much I love them. And they have no idea how much I miss them. I said, God, that's such a simple word. Tell them they have no idea. There's a story in the Old Testament about a prophet called Hosea. He was asked by God to go and love a woman that would betray him and break his heart over and over and over again. And God took me to that story. He says, Heinrich, I want you to understand my love within the context of that kind of betrayal. 
Would you have the capacity to love someone that betrays you that much, that often, that deliberately? So we can talk about the love of God. I want you to bring it home. I think I speak for most husbands here that we would be severely challenged. I speak for myself. I don't know. That's beyond the boundaries and the borders of what my human love can do. And I want us to watch this video clip. It's, it's a couple of minutes long. Now. I have to finish now. And then I'm going to ask you to respond, not on my call, but on God's call, simply that you would say, Holy Spirit, show me how much the Father loves me. Show me how much Jesus loves me. It doesn't matter how much you think you know he loves you. He loves you even more. He loves you even more. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.